ain't fake. Welcome to the Hangups Podcast. I am your host, Joel Pack. I am a full-time music producer, husband, and dad to three awesome kids. This is basically my way of getting some quality hang time in with some interesting people I don't get to chat with nearly as much as I'd like to. Today, I have a nice chat with my friend Taryn Hyatt. She's with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We talk about trying not to give a shit what people think about you. We talk about sobriety how she got involved with the foundation, the things we can do, and uh, maybe even more importantly, shouldn't do if we've got a buddy or family member that we may be worried about. Anyway, without further ado, here is Taryn Hyatt. So I'm here with Taryn. Hyatt now. Yeah. When did you get married? Year and a six months. Yeah, about a year and a half ago. Holy shit. Yeah, year and a half ago. That went fast. It did go fast. <laughs> um, and how did we meet? We, if I could, it's been a long time ago. I don't know. It had to have been through Jake. It would, had to have been through Jake Haroon. Yeah. And Outset Phonic, I think, is one of their shows that we met. And okay. then obviously started listening to Broke. And, yeah. I Brooke don't know if it was City Jake or Brig or yeah, somebody in that somebody band. Somebody in that band for sure. And my ex-wife played yes. violin yes. in that band. Kim. I met Kimmy. Yep. And yeah, I was, I was just like, was it Jake? Was it? Did you go yeah. to high school with those guys? Or so how did you meet those guys? Jeffrey, my little brother, and Jake were best uh, friends. We grew up on the same street together. And Jake's okay. older sister Tammy and I were really good friends. So we've uh-huh. lived on the same street our whole childhood, and then. Our parents even, when my mom and dad divorced, my mom moved up to PG and she lived on the same street as Jake and his mom again. They moved again. So we've been yeah. neighbors kind of our whole lives. Oh, okay. That's that how I know sense. Jake. You were just always like the cooler, <laughs> like the cool, the cool sister. You know what I mean? Like he was as much my little brother as my little brother for that's sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that kid. That's awesome. So you, so currently the way people, most people know you, you're kind of like famous now. Oh. <laughs> you're top. I don't know most that. people know you from, what's your title at the AFSP? So I... I am the new, newer, I guess, because it's only been the last uh, two years as well, but um, uh-huh. the area director for the Utah and Nevada chapters. Okay. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. There you go. So what what do you spend your time doing? Yeah. You do the, I, I know you do these walks, yeah. but... That- so it's it's interesting. So AFSP is a you know the largest private funder of research and the leading nonprofit in the U.S. doing anything about suicide prevention. And so they have local chapters all across the U.S., but they're run by volunteers. It's a volunteer-driven organization, really grassroots. And so I had helped to start our Utah chapter and did that as a volunteer. It was the board chair, you know, the walk chair, sort of as that in that aspect. And then um, they wanted to hire an area director. They have, you know, obviously staff across the U.S. that help to manage the chapters. And and so I course applied for the position and, and thankfully got it and so now I, I just helped to coordinate and oversee all the activities between both chapters so Utah and Nevada so Utah's easy because it's what I've been doing anyway you know yeah. Nevada I'm getting to learn the landscape of what what does suicide prevention look like there and mm-hmm. and obviously here it's it's my day-to-day is so different you know yesterday I spent the whole day doing health classes up in Ogden at a junior high school oh my hell what I have is- so much empathy for school teachers <laughs> Teaching the same class seven times to 100 students, especially uh, junior high, remember that age, just trying to keep them engaged, and plus the conversations about suicide. It was mm-hmm. pretty intense, but it was awesome. I had some great you know, interactions. But I mean, yeah. That's an intense That's, that's an intense, intense, intense age. day and an intense age. So, yeah, my day-to-day changes, you know, like today I'm going to go meet with the governor's task force. We're going to look at veteran suicide here in Utah. You know, tomorrow i be at home working and doing yeah. emails and getting stuff sent out. So it just kind of changes day-to-day, but... Yeah. So what do you, so as part of what the, what you raise money for is that for education in the schools? Yeah. So AFSP, you know, our walks that we do every year is the out of the darkness walk. Mm -hmm. And that's a walk that I started um, here in Utah to honor my dad who died of suicide 16 years ago. And it started very small and of course, course has grown into this just, I mean, it was a monster this year. We had 
easily over 8,000 people at Liberty Park, and currently we're sitting at about $280,000. Yeah, high fives. <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah, so the, the money that's raised, like I said, AFSP being the largest private funder of research, a good chunk of that does go to funding research. Um, we also do educational programs. So again, they've created their own curriculum, again, based on science. What do we know about suicide? What are the best prevention practices, et cetera? And so those programs are what we help to provide back into our communities and, and into the schools. And then we do a ton of um, survivor support. So coming up here in November, we do what we call Survivor Day. And so the Saturday before Thanksgiving, every year, it's actually an international event now. There's sites held all across the world where mm. people who've lost a loved one come together and we just share our experience, you know, what we've done to get through and, and hopefully inspire people new to the journey that they will get through this too. And and here's a group of people who've, who've been where you've been and get it, you know, yeah. it's, it's like anything, you know, support yeah. group when you're around others who've shared that experience, you you feel connected. Yeah. And Mr. What did Mr. So, Rogers say? If it's mentionable, it's manageable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get, you know, if you don't, you know, yeah. so these survivors, people who have family members or friends yeah. or people who have attempted so these themselves. Are, these are solely lost survivors. So okay. there is a differentiation between that. Oftentimes we will have attempt survivors survivors come. Um, and, and for them, sometimes it's, it's, it's an interesting experience because they get to see the other side of it, you know, of, yeah, they've had their experience with experiencing, you know, suicidal thoughts and making an attempt, but they get to see sometimes what their family maybe would have experienced had they died. So it's, it's really powerful and kind of hard and, and a little emotional. You know, I have both sides of that, so I yeah. get to see what it's like, but yeah, they're, they're, typically for survivors. So we have that. And then again, we do, do advocacy and that's what, you know, my meeting today will be about is we are, we're very involved in the legislative process, wondering, you know, what bills are being passed and either sharing a voice to or, you know, against or for, you know, um, legislation. And that was a, a key part of our work last year was really helping to make sure that we started to bring, you know, more funding and, and mm -hmm. programs across the state so that we could do a better job at helping people who were in crisis. So, so is that kind of a lot of it, try, mm -hmm. trying to just make sure you get the, the funding for mm -hmm. it? It's not necessarily like law passing yeah, or sometimes, anything like that. Yeah, sometimes it is specific laws. Like, you know, there were years ago. So like what I did yesterday, um, for years, suicide prevention wasn't taught in schools. It wasn't yeah. allowed. It wasn't a conversation that was had. We had to pass a law that required teachers, first of all, to get trained. Um, because we know teachers are that first line of defense. You know, mm -hmm. a young person might disclose, might write a letter, might do an assignment, might say something. You know, teachers see our students more than we do, most yeah. parents at the time. So we passed a law that, that required teachers get trained. And then in turn, it started to transition that schools now would have to offer parent seminars so parents could learn. Because mm -hmm. parents don't, you know, this isn't something you get in a book as you have a baby. Hey, here's it, how to watch for your child who might be suicidal. I think that's so awesome. Yeah. So what? parents get classes now and, and, I'm, and students. So I'm not asking here for a full lesson yeah. <laughs> or that you're, you know, um, but what are some of the things that you look for, you know, yeah. as a, as a yeah. teacher, I mean, do you go into that at, the, oh, yeah. at your, yeah. uh, and I talk to students about it, you know, the mm -hmm. thing about suicidal thinking and, and suicidal behavior period is, you know, it, it comes at a point when we have reached a, a moment in our life where crisis is, is imminent. Like we just do not see a way around whatever it is we're experiencing. And it, it feels so painful. It feels so hurtful that your, your body does what it should do. It goes into that fight or flight mode. It says, I need to escape this. I need to get away from this. This is hurting me and I don't like it. And mm -hmm. I, I want to protect myself. And that's an interesting thought process. If you think about it, that's what the body is doing. And it comes to suicide. We're trying to get away from something that's causing us hurt. Right. And so the thinking obviously becomes distorted. A person isn't rationally thinking when they, they make the decision to, to attempt or to end their own life. And so a lot of the, the things leading up to and what we might observe is, is usually behavior changes. You know, our brain, when it gets sick, it manifests in behavior. So we start acting in ways that we maybe hadn't acted before. A lot of it's talk. You'll hear people just saying really hopeless statements. You know, they're tired. They can't do it anymore. They feel like they're a burden to those around them. You know, mm. I, I always hear the one, you know, everybody would be better off. And, um, and then it's behaviors. And I always say it's just things that make you go, hmm. I mean, you know, as humans, we're so habitual in how we act. Like each of us, as we get up in the day, you know, we have a ritual for how we start our day. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my coffee, I get in the shower, I, you know, check my email. Like we have rituals that we do. And yeah. so being observant of people and their rituals when they start doing things that they didn't normally do, isolating, withdrawing, giving stuff away, or maybe they just don't shower anymore. And they usually are somebody that's always together. So mm -hmm. there's different, you know, behaviors you can look for. And then the last one's just energy. You know, sensing somebody's energy. It doesn't always have to be sad. You know, yeah. suicide isn't always I'm sad. Sometimes it's I'm angry. 
Mm-hmm. I'm humiliated. I, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate, you know, because I feel trapped in a situation. There's a lot of things, but those are kind of the three keys is talk, behavior, and, and energy to, to kind of sense when somebody's not doing well. So, okay, let's say you've got a kid or a friend or a parent or a family member and you're seeing these signs mm-hmm. uh, or it's lo- low enough hanging fruit that yeah. they want to talk to you about it. Yeah. What are some things that you should not say yeah. or do or things sure. that you should, you know, For what's, sure. what's the, I, I think that, you know, the thing that's the best to do is just to be willing to have a conversation and that conversation can be uncomfortable. You know, ask the person, tell me why, talk to me about why, what has you thinking that mm-hmm. suicide's the answer. And then just be willing to listen, you mm-hmm. know, uh, be willing to listen and come from a place without judgment that whatever they share, let them share it. Cause for most of us, we just need to be able to get out whatever that is that has us thinking it because, you know, Einstein always shares this quote that the consciousness or the brain that creates the problem can't solve it. That's why yeah. we have to talk to other people because sometimes someone might offer a perspective you hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. And so just being willing to sit in that that dark space and, and it, it might be uncomfortable. Um, I always tell people, abandon your need to fix. You mm-hmm. can't fix it, most likely. <laughs> Whatever it is, is probably is, beyond your control, and that's hard. Which now that you've been, you know, yeah, it's married hard. for a year, for guys, sometimes mm-hmm. that's pretty, yeah, <laughs> kind of a tough to thing. We want to fix. And, and, and fix and make it better, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be that person that they can confide in and be honest with and be vulnerable with mm-hmm. and be willing to sit in it with them. You know, I think that's the other part is most people feel really isolated and alone in their experience. So mm-hmm. having somebody who's willing just to say, I'm here. Yeah. You know, I may not know what to say. I may not know what to do. Um, but I think the things to avoid would be the yeah, giving advice, trying to fix it, trying to solve it, because you probably can't. You know, you should do. We none of us love to be shit on. We know that. Right. <laughs> you know, don't tell me what I should do. Yeah, just listen to me. Um, I think it's one of the best things you can do. That's awesome. As far as resources, I know I've got one of these magnets at the studio, one of the helpline mm-hmm. magnets. What what yeah. does that kind of look Is that somebody? Yeah. Who- so, you know, I still get really irritated and I just am honest. I, mm-hmm. it, it angers me that that's still the best thing we have right now is to say, hey, call the suicide prevention lifeline. Mm-hmm. But again, when we're talking about a person needing to open up and being able to share about what's going on in their mind, this is that resource that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's an 800 number right now, mm-hmm. 800-273-TALK. We did pass legislation, you know, this year. We actually mm-hmm. saw an act of Congress. Trump yes. even signed it, uh-huh. you know, that says we're going to look at creating a three-digit crisis line for mental health. And mm-hmm. we should have had that eons ago, yeah. you know. I mean, think of how many calls 911 takes where it's a mental health crisis that a person just needs, you know, somebody to come and listen or to talk to. Right. And so that lifeline is a great resource just to be able to talk to somebody, to, to find out what resources are available. They can guide you and direct you to the nearest crisis center, the nearest emergency room, you know, mental health service. What we're looking to do, and, and something that we passed, you know, legislatively last year, is increase our funding to actually have what we call a mobile crisis team. Mm-hmm. So mobile crisis teams would actually come to you. So again, instead of being a person like I've had to do and being taken to an ER because you're thinking of suicide, being treated like a criminal, being mm-hmm. you know handcuffed yeah. to the gurney in a stupid gown when <laughs> you don't need your butt flapping open, you need yeah. your head looked at. Yeah, you know, just the experience has not always been pleasant, and so of course that's kept people from wanting to even tell because you don't know. There's this fear. Well, what are they going to do? You know, we need to provide, and that's where we have to shift. Is what. What does the response look like when we do say we're thinking of suicide? Because mm-hmm. what we've done in the past hasn't worked and it hasn't been helpful. We need to change. Yeah. So, yeah, the crisis line's a great tool. You know, you don't have to be suicidal to call it. If you're worried about somebody and just wondering if what you're seeing is suicide, call. Call mm-hmm. and ask. And, you know, even just if you just need to vent and get something off your chest to yeah. somebody who's anonymous, call, <laughs> you know. They have a text line, too. So there's mm-hmm. there's options that way. So you you said like a, a uh, what was it a response mobile crisis Mosul, team yeah. mobile cri- so, so we have that? those yeah we have them up here in Salt Lake City they have them in Utah County uh, Davis County has them but we need them across the state what it is is if you were to call a crisis center and you had somebody who was in distress or in you know suicidal crisis they would dispatch a team to you and the team would consist of one mental health professional typically mm-hmm. an LCSW which is a licensed clinical social worker. And then a peer support, so somebody who has lived experience, who's been in that situation or a similar one, that they would come out together and, again, meet with the person, talk with the person. You know, and then from there, decide what kind of steps are necessary further. You know, do this person need to come in and be seen? Do they need to go to the hospital and get an evaluation? You know, Mm -hmm. do they need to get an appointment with a therapist? Do they need, you know, what do they need? And they would assess immediate need right then and there and then take care of it and direct them from there. 
right? That's so good. Right? <laughs> so, so good. yeah, we implemented, they're going to have five new teams starting across the state, but, you know, we just have to start looking at, again, our, our crisis response. You know, we, we should have mental health receiving centers, basically, where a person could go for 24 hours for free yeah. and just de-escalate, you know, and be safe, be safe. Yeah. But again, I'm sitting on a couch. I'm not in a gurney, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm just treated like a human, and I'm allowed to just be safe for a little bit. And is that something where, like... You call nine one one. You get an you mm-hmm. get an ambulance. Is it like mm-hmm. that, yeah. or you say, you like "Well, we've got some time between mm-hmm. ten a.m. and two. Like, com- it's not like Comcast. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. They would dispatch immediately again yeah. if they weren't already on a call. That's why we need more teams because Man. we know the teams that we do have. You know, sometimes there is a wait time, and again, that's because we need to increase access and make sure we have more folks available to to do those kinds of services. They're needed. Yeah. So, are is there a lack of volunteers or people to be dispatched so what it sometimes what it comes down to is a lack of of yes you know the force as far as you know having enough social workers on hand you know again it's a salary issue for for companies you know the u of u they have they have so many people employed but we need to increase the funding there so that they have an opportunity to have more you know social workers available Mm -hmm. there's never going to be a lack of people with lived experience who want to be able to help somebody else that's that's the easy part you know we have a peer support program here in the state of utah that you can sign up for and and be trained so that you're available to be on call if, if you're needed, you know, and a lot of folks have done that. That's that's not the issue. It's usually getting, again, the, the, the social worker and being able to have, you know, somebody like that. You know, and again, when you start looking at the mental health field, it's like any other, you know, I mean, you pay a ton to go to school and become licensed, but unfortunately the salaries that are out there, you know, are difficult to live on. Yeah. And, and we need to do a better job at that, either making sure school's more affordable for these people who are doing such life-saving work mm-hmm. or, you know, Make sure, just like our teachers, you know, they're getting a little bit more pay for the yeah. job that they're doing. And it's, it's just unreal to well, think about. Yeah. And to me, I mean, it makes sense. Okay. If you've got a, a broken arm or something like that, you don't just get up and go to work the next day and uh, let's see if I can mm-hmm. shake, shake this thing off. You go, <laughs> you go see a doctor. And it's like, okay, you know, and you can, you have people around that you say, hey, I fell. My arm feels weird. Do you think it's broken? Do you think I need to see somebody right mm-hmm. now? Do we, do we need to call an ambulance? Do mm-hmm. we have, is this, you know, and. It, it, I don't know. No, it's true. It and seems it seems obvious, but maybe maybe that's because I'm somebody who's been living with a broken arm for a while, mm-hmm. you know. And so <laughs> it seems a little more obvious. Sure. Um, and that I had no idea about the the response team. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't you I don't don't know if we've talked about this before, but I think unknowingly you've been my personal response team. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about this mm-hmm. before? Um. So sorry. I'd, was gonna go there, <laughs> but um, yeah, we uh, it was after a show of bro. Everything it was uh, you know, broke was playing down at Valor, mm-hmm. and I think this was before you got sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was doing a lot of coke, and I did the last did the last of my blow in mm-hmm. the bathroom of Valor, and blew my voice out halfway through the first song, and. I was living over at Jake's house. The show was over. Everybody was going home with whoever they were going sure. home with. Uh, you know, I had been divorced, was alone, went back to went back to the old crib, and it was like had our, our band had just lost our record deal. Yeah. The uh, that show was like half the attendance it was last time we played there, um, and it was just like oh my god, like everything. Yeah. is failing, you know, and uh, of course my head wasn't in the right spot because I had just blown through the last yeah. of the drugs I was yeah. using, you know, and um, I had a half gallon of vodka and a, uh, a box of sleeping pills hanging out at the house, and I was just like, ah, I think this might do it, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, I don't remember, it was late, it was after the show, and you came by the house, you know, Jake mm-hmm. lived there. I don't know where everybody was. I don't know if everybody was asleep, yeah. but you just stopped by yeah, and just talked to me for a minute. And, um, and it was one of those things where it was just like, not everybody has that kind of intervention. You know what I mean? I, to me, it was just like, what the, f- who comes over at, do you, do you know what I mean? And um, we didn't talk, you know, we didn't, I'm sure I put on a, a great face as yeah. far, yeah, I had a great show, I'm tired, whatever, yeah. uh, whatever it was. Um, but it was one of those things where it's just like, yeah, just 
some kind of interruption. Yeah. And that was also the night that, uh, I, and so it, what it did is after you left, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to Google this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, that's not something when, when you're thinking about taking a handful of sleeping pills yeah. and a half gallon of vodka yeah. that you think about doing it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to at least Google this yeah. to see if this is really going to do the trick or if I'm going to end up in a coma yeah. or you know, yeah, and I couldn't find any information on that. All I could find were statistics and oh, wow. information that was like, okay, Joel, you need something to look forward to because yeah. right now, you know, right yeah. now you're in you're in a temporary you're looking you're in a temporary spot, and that was the night that I reached out to Maggie. Oh my gosh! Um, but you know, I just wanted to say thank wow. you for stopping over. I don't know why you stopped <laughs> over. Probably to do shit. Probably, <laughs> and I was all out. So you're like, awesome. No. <laughs> I could have very oh, well, you know what I mean. Gosh. But wow, that's but crazy. thank you. No, thank you. And, that's cool. And I think uh, just. Yeah, a response, you know what I mean? That would just be such a... No, that's cool. That's cool because there's so many of those. It's interesting. I think of how many people in my life have done that same thing for me. And again, it wasn't a conversation about what was happening, but it was just a person that, that, yeah, in that moment stopped what I was going to do and enabled me to have a chance to think and breathe and move in a different direction. That's huge. Wow. Anyway... um, so when you is a, a, you, you're probably so sick of talking about all this stuff oh, all the time, um, but I feel like we've been friends for mm-hmm. a long time, and there's stuff I just don't know about you, yeah. and probably things that you share with strangers <laughs> on the regular that we just assume we know about sure. each other. Which is one of the reasons I want to start wanted to start the podcast. Yeah. Is one, I have three kids now and don't get to talk to anybody, yeah, <laughs> have adult busy. conversations <laughs> that aren't about poop diapers or whatever. <laughs> Um, but with the substance abuse, I think we, you know, that was, that was a thing that was a part of our early friendship was just like, that's how Meg, you know, it was like when Maggie came out to visit, it's like, it was like, Oh, Taryn's here. Mm -hmm. Do you want to come watch me do some bad stuff? (laughs) You know, whatever, but you know, um, was that something that got started early with you or way early? You know, I, I think back, so I was I was a little kid, um, you know, grew up here in Utah, and, and at, at the age of eight, did what every other Utah kid did, which was get baptized into the Mormon church. And and then shortly thereafter, you know, I started experiencing um, sexual abuse from a neighbor, and it was a female, and so it was strange and odd, and I didn't know what was happening, and my body experienced things that I knew it wasn't supposed to, so I just thought I was fucking evil. I mean, mm. I just believed that. I thought, oh my God, I just got washed clean of my sins and now this is happening. I just must be evil. And so my brain as a young kid, like eight, really took this this dark shift and I, I just did not want to be on this earth. And, and I had a dad who who also really struggled with, with depression and different things and and always had medication. I mean, I remember watching, like my dad had like a pharmacy in his, <laughs> in his cupboard and and so I remember one time, it didn't feel good, you know, and he was like, here, take this. And I took it, and I slept for 24 hours. I was like, oh, that was awesome. I didn't have to think about anything. And yeah. come to find out, it was Ativan. And so I, I knew that, hey, if I just want to check out, I can go get one of those, and deal's done, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then by the time I had turned um, 11, I was diagnosed with severe scoliosis. So my spine was the shape of an S. And, you know, coming to find out what I know today is that was my throat chakra being blocked, and that's why I had it. I, I had what they call idiopathic. No one in my family has scoliosis and it's typically a hereditary illness, but I think it was because I lost my voice. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk. I kept that secret and it caused my spine to do what it did. It's got to so, go somewhere. Yeah, it's got to go somewhere. And so needless to say, I ended up having, you know, surgery by age 12 was my first back surgery. I was introduced to morphine. <laughs> it oh, was game on, you know, yeah. the minute I felt that in my, my system, it was just like, oh, you know, that sense of relief. Yeah. And so I, I began abusing, you know, whatever I could could get my hands on as a as a young kid, you know, through mm. through junior high. It was, you know, robe tussin, make weed, acid, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I was that kid. I didn't care. Whatever you had, I would take because I just didn't care. And, you know, that it led me to some really dark places, you know, really dark places. I was raped at 15 and then ended Jesus. up, you know, pregnant at at 19. And that was a godsend because I just started doing meth. And, mm-hmm. and thank God I, I got pregnant because it made me stop. Mm-hmm. And, and I gave birth to that beautiful kid, you yeah. know, who's been the, the light of my life. And I remember thinking when I had Colin at 19, you know, I, I wanted so desperately to be done. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. with the drugs, and I promised myself I would, and, and I, I made it through my whole pregnancy. I had him. He was beautiful, and I, I made it maybe three months. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, my friends came back, and I was right back into it, and life got shitty again, and it just it just continued, you know, it just continued. And and so it, for years, you know, drugs and alcohol were just my, my solution. Mm-hmm. And, and then when my dad died, I just went off the deep end. <laughs> You know, it was everything and anything I could get my hands on, cocaine, and cocaine moved into crack. And it just got, it got ugly. It got ugly and it got dark and it got to a place where I called my little sister and I said, would you, would you take my kids? She mm-hmm. goes, what do you mean? And I just said, would you take my kids? Mm-hmm. Could you take them? Because I can't live. I can't do this anymore. And, and so I was at that place, you know, I was at that place that I was either going to kill myself mm-hmm. <laughs> or had to do something different. And so I moved. I did the geographical move. I got out of Utah. I, I found some time to, to kind of get sober of at least the drugs. Alcohol yeah. stayed, and that mm-hmm. always did. And then, you know, came back to Utah and, and was sober for about two years. And and then, of course, I went on a cruise. This is my favorite story. I went on a cruise with my kids, and I was two years sober to the day. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go into the, the casino and play Wheel of Fortune. You know, it's my slot machine I love while yeah. they were up playing all the games. And I won $1,000. Oh, and man. the first words out of my mouth were, shot a Patron, and I drank. And, uh-huh. of course, drank like I always drank, which was into a blackout, and woke yeah. up the next day, and the kids were looking at me like, what the hell? I hate you. And I'm looking at myself like, oh, my God, what did I do? Don't remember. Mm-hmm. And it, it got, again, real ugly. Um, on June 23rd, 2013 is my, my official sobriety date this mm-hmm. time, and... It was one of those where I did what I always did. You know, when my kids would go away for the weekend, I would go out and I came up here to Salt Lake and was hanging out with some peeps and uh-huh. uh, drank like I always drank, uh-huh. good old underground. And I, I didn't show up. I didn't come home. And mm-hmm. um, my sister put out a Facebook APB. <laughs> Has anybody seen my sister? I'm like, oh, shit. And uh, it was my son, Colin. Colin had uh, called and left me probably 30 voicemails. You know, where are you? Where are you? Uh. And his last one just said, um, you know, I hope you're dead because I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of wondering where you are and what you're up to. And I, I hope you're dead. And as I listened to that one, I just went, oh. And so I, I drove home, <laughs> drunk, of course, and uh, laid on the couch for probably four hours just trying to get my mind straight and sober up and knowing I was going to see him what was I going to say and I knew that I couldn't say I won't do this again because I'd said that a million times Mm -hmm. and so I walked my ass down to an AA meeting and I sat in a meeting where I finally heard what I needed to hear and for the first time I, I understood that I had an issue I'm an alcoholic you know I'm an addict I drugs and alcohol just had ruled my life for so long, and, and I, I got involved in that fellowship, and you know, sitting here today, five and a half years sober. So I had no idea mm-hmm. any. I mean, I I wasn't on Facebook. Mm-mm. I didn't see yeah. an APB. I uh, I was playing a show that you showed up to mm-hmm. at a bar, and was like, "Hey, what can I get you?" Because you're like, "Oh no, I'm not drinking," mm-hmm. and I'm just like, "Oh, okay." And it was just like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, when you get to those last few years of it, you know, it's funny. It was all those nights at my house, you know. Yes. <laughs> You're home by yourself and nobody's yeah. around. Nobody oh can hold you accountable. No, yeah. yeah. The stuff we would do. And yeah, I think my last, and I don't even care about sharing this because it's funny, you know, one of my last drunks was me doing what I do, blacking out on the couch. Only this time I was on a heating pad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> I woke up the next morning with burns oh, into my skin from the heating pad. I was man. like, okay, get your shit together. What oh, are you doing? man. So, yeah, I, see, I had no idea. We, you, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a thing. Just mm-hmm. part, I mean, we've, we're all thinking about ourselves mm-hmm. all the time. And I'm just like, okay, Tara, she's, she seems like she's got her shit together. I can party with her. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? And I'm the same. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm the one who's going home and drinking by myself and doing yeah. the, like you yeah. said, you know, Drugs like, oh, all night. nobody knows. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, I haven't taken any kind of oath or anything, but I, I decided to knock mm-hmm. the alcohol stuff off a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure everything's changed for you, but what's been like, what's the daily hardest thing about being sober? I think 
So for me, it's, it's, you know, the whole reason I drink and use to begin with is because I wanted to change how I feel. Yeah. And so now I have to like sit in feelings and it's like, <laughs> ugh, you know, and shot would instantly change how I felt, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's good because I've learned how to, to sit in some of that stuff rather than run from it or, you know, ignore it and instead feel my way through it and get to the other side and go, oh, it's really not that bad, you know? And, um, I, I have tools today, you know, I, I really had to get honest and, and, and clean out all that shit, you know, be willing just to tell another human all that stuff that I had kept secret and hidden. And, you know, they say it, the truth will set you free. And oh my mm-hmm. God does it, you know, when you're not living with this lie and you can actually look yourself in the eyes in the mirror and go, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. I can look at you today instead of being like, oh God, I can't believe you did what you did last night. You know, yeah. things. it's just a night and day different way to live. Yeah. You know, I'm not living with the the wreckage every day of wondering, oh God, what did I do last night? Who did I do last night? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was where it got for me. It was, mm-hmm. you know, who are you? Where are my clothes? And and that's that's not the person I wanted to be and, yeah. and not the person I am today. So it's been it's been a good journey. It's a difficult journey. Like I say, some days are super easy and then other days, yeah, it's like, oh, you know, I wish I could be that person that could have a corona. But I I'd yeah. have one and then I'd have 20 and yeah. God knows where I'd be and, and I'm looking for drugs and then I'm looking for this you know it's just that's just how it goes for me and, yeah. and I know that enough today because I've tried it enough today I, mm-hmm. I know where it ends up so I just can't even have that one yeah. I just have to stay away are there certain things uh, like maintenance things mm-hmm. like therapy or do you do the therapy mm-hmm. thing or I the do AA both. thing so still? I, I still participate in AA mm-hmm. um, I still go to meetings I still have a sponsor that mm-hmm. I you know I talk to and Probably could talk to you more, but that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. What AA did for me was it helped me to find a, a God of my own understanding. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in the Mormon church, and I had to divorce that whole concept. I I could not—that was a punishing, hateful, judgeful—you know, that that's not the kind of energy I want to believe in and something that created me, you know? So I really got to look and, and create something for myself, and AA gave me that freedom, and it's yeah. been awesome. You know, I don't know what God is, who it is, if it's a sheath. I don't care today. I just believe in this energy that, that loves me and wants the best for me, and yeah. as long as I'm living a good life and making the next right choice, I'm, I'm doing okay, and I don't have to worry about all that shit. And so that's been huge. And then I do still see a therapist. I've seen a therapist since I was— 12 years old and Mm -hmm. the same one, you know, he was my mom and dad's marriage counselor. And then I ended up being the one to see him after all my suicide attempts as a teen and just Mm -hmm. a good dude. You know, he's that person I can just sit down and go, and he's like, all right. I'm now sh- let's look at your bit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> see what we can do about it. It's awesome. Know? And I'm sure it helps too. That, I mean, he's got some perspective. Yep. Um, whereas, I mean, I don't know. I've, uh, I've only seen one therapist. I'm, I'm in the market for a therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, Maggie and I used to see, you know, pretty regularly. And um, it was nice to have this, you know, he, he could see if one of us was trying to pull some manipulative mm-hmm. shit or trying to get away with something, mm-hmm. you know, because there's that perspective. And now I wonder, okay, like, um, when we, when we find our new counselor, uh, or therapist, it's like, is it going to, is it going to be like starting in sixth know, gear, huh? you know, like yeah. going to learn all of our yeah. bullshit. All <laughs> so over again. <laughs> I know that's the hard part about therapy is when you do start fresh, but I don't know. It's interesting. I started seeing another person earlier this year. Mm-hmm just because she offered a different modality that I was mm-hmm. interested to try, and um, it's called EMDR, so it's, it's eye movement desensitization Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about that. It's fucking phenomenal. Um, because I had had so much trauma, and when I got married, my poor husband, <laughs> I mean, I would wake up in the night, wake him up, you know, in these screaming rages because I would dream so heavy, and my dreams were always so messed up, and... And I would kill somebody or kill myself, like violent dreams. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is wrong with me? But it just just to the point that it was like, okay, we we need to do something about this. Like, mm-hmm. why are you living this way? And and so I, I'd heard about EMDR and I'd always wanted to, and I didn't have insurance, so I couldn't afford it. But I finally, now that I was married and had this job, I had insurance. So I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a whirl, and and I did, and I I. I can't even describe like the change that took place in my my brain and in my body and in my life having processed those events with somebody in that way. You know, it was hard. It wasn't fun. It was yeah. not fun to go back and recount <laughs> and recall and talk about, you know, some of those really awful experiences. But you know what we learn is in the the trauma brain, you know, when you're in it, you almost disassociate so that you can get through it. So mm-hmm. your brain never really puts meaning to it or, you know, puts it to a place where it can stay away. So it comes back at the most inopportune times. Yeah. And and I don't have that today. You know, I, I, I still dream fucked up dreams, but I yeah. think half of that's all the drugs and alcohol <laughs> in my 
brain went through. It's like trying to make sense of life. But yeah, I, it was a game changer for me. I wish I had done it a whole lot sooner. Okay, so I'm going to be getting, if it's okay, I'm going to be getting some I'll contact information. Yep, there's before. some great people right down here. I'll tell awesome. you. Awesome. And that, is it weird? I mean, you mentioned with the, you know, Mormon upbringing. You know, I was raised mm-hmm. Mormon as well. I we're not allowed to say Mormon anymore. Oh, that's right. I can't. What are they going to call the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? I don't know. I, I saw something about it, but <laughs> then I deleted my Facebook because <laughs> I was for like, you. I can't look at this shit. I, wanna, I don't care anymore. People just stop. Has that been, are, are any of the people that you've seen elsewhere? LDS or have you been able to find or is that yeah so my therapist that I've seen my whole life um was LDS he doesn't he's not active so much now his wife mm-hmm. still is so he mm-hmm. you know he's great um good perspectives there then the one gal I did see she is um but that never bled over into you know what I did she knew where I was at and it never became a discussion That's about great. you know religiosity which was good um yeah so I think awesome. it's it's interesting. I think you got to just therapy's like anything. You got to find somebody that works for you. I always tell people, you know, they're like, "Oh, I tried wine. I hated it, so I'm never going back." I'm like, "You wouldn't do that if you broke your leg." And your doctor's like, "Yeah, suck it up, walk on it." You're yeah. like, oh, fuck you. I'm gonna go find another doctor. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't have find it. Find somebody else. You know, you got to find that person that, that clicks with you and you can connect to. Let's say somebody's uh, therapist shopping. Mm-hmm. What's is there an, a resource online? There is a good resource online. Psychology Today is probably one of the best ones, and it's just psychologytoday.com where you can go in and you. Can can search by modality you can search by area mm-hmm. you know they usually have bios and stuff that you can read you can email and you know ask questions have a conversation kind of prior to that's the most in-depth one that if a therapist is subscribed to you know you can find folks um you're just normal insurance you know we'll have obviously a provider directory but that's always kind of hard to you know i mm-hmm. got to learn that the other day looking at my own trying to find somebody and it was like a joke i went are you kidding me why is this so hard to find yeah mental health why isn't this on here you got pulmonary you've got all this other crap where's mental health come on yeah so we, we still have work to do as a, as a community and society to fix that, you know. But, yeah, Psychology Today is probably the best one. I'm going to check that out. I know, yeah, because Maggie and I are uh, going, man, We I listened to back to the podcast I did mm-hmm. with her. So it was pretty raw. You'll, yeah. <laughs> but, um, that yeah, that's one of, the th- one of the places we landed. We need to go therapist shopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, my husband and I are looking to do the same thing. Greenhouse is right down here in, in uh, South Jordan and that's where I went in Pleasant Grove. So mm-hmm. it's the Greenhouse Center for Learning and Growth. And again, there there's just so much more newer, you know, modalities out there. You yeah. know, neurofeedback and like I said, EMDR, just different therapies. You know, yeah. not the same thing works same for everybody. So, right. you know, find what you need to get and, and get it. So mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite ones. What's your take on I mean, have you ever done are I mean if it's whatever you don't have if anything's off limits but um just the uh like medication and Mm -hmm. stuff like that what's your kind of take on that so what i know about the brain is that the brain is full of chemicals full Mm -hmm. of neurotransmitters and and absolutely they can misfire and not produce and do all those things so absolutely medication is necessary Mm -hmm. for some people 100 percent medication only though not the answer. It's the mm-hmm. same thing as if I had diabetes and I only treated my diabetes by injecting insulin when I need it. If I don't change behavior, if I don't have eating patterns, you know, I don't manage that illness the best way I can. And we continue to see, you know, about 30% of suicides continue to be patients who are medication only. So again, if I'm only treating the chemical part, I'm not addressing the behavioral stuff that I need to learn how to deal with. So mm-hmm. you got to do both. I think psychotherapy and medication together, best. Awesome. Um, but not everybody needs meds. You know, I, I was on antidepressants again when I first got sober because I was way depressed, mm-hmm. obviously. My brain was trying to come out of a fog. Um, I don't take medication today. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I don't think I probably still need it from time <laughs> to time. But, you know, I've been able to supplement serotonin by taking 5-HTP. I take GABA, you know, mm-hmm. on the days that my anxiety is out of whack because those are, again, natural occurring chemicals that live in my body that I just might need more of sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then I, I do use oils, whether they work or not. You know, <laughs> I don't know all the science between them, but, man, they smell. I love, you know, I got through a surgery this last, you know, couple months ago without taking one single narcotic because I lived with essential Yeah, oils. tell me about, tell me about that if you don't uh, mind. No, it was gnarly. I you know, I as as I've gotten older I've had obviously the joys of having female issues and, and so yeah, I, I went in to have you know, I had a bladder surgery done mm. and I, I'm in recovery and I, I just didn't want to awaken the beast. Yeah. Not saying that people who are in recovery can't take, you know, pain medicine if they need it, but I just didn't want to even go there. You right. know, but I knew I needed to have this done and so I just was really clear with the doctors. I just said, you know, I can't have any narcotic whatsoever. So please, like, you know, yeah, you can obviously you're gonna put me out and take me under anesthesia. Yeah. But they said usually in anesthesia we give you narcotics as well. And I just said, I, I just don't want anything. Please don't give me anything. He said, okay. 
And so, uh, you know, I, I just, again, chatted with my sponsor, kind of worked out a plan, you know, got me some stuff oil-wise that would help me, frankincense, different things that would just help with the pain and mostly lavender and serenity to keep me calm and yeah. just kind of keep my head in a good space. And and really just 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 prayed to whoever God is and just said, you know, if I'm going to do this, like, hook a sister up, yeah. you know, help me be able to get through this. Yeah. And, and do it, and and you know when I when I woke up after the surgery, of course, you know, I first thing I said was, "You didn't give me anything, did you?" And she goes, "No, we didn't give you anything." Oh, okay, and I did it. You know, I mean, yeah, it hurt and it was painful, but it wasn't. It was manageable. Yeah. You know, it was manageable, and I actually noticed that I healed a lot quicker because I was able to get up a lot quicker and I yeah. wasn't, you know, sleeping and yeah. some of the stuff that meds do. So, yeah. Well, I thought. I mean, I was. That, I mean, that was not very long ago, mm-hmm. and I just remember. It was just like something you were going in to do, mm-hmm. and you didn't make a big deal about it. We were texting yeah. about having you come in, mm-hmm. and I, don't, I was just like, "What the hell, Superwoman over here?" <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, but I'm glad. You know, it mostly was to prove to myself that I could, uh-huh. you know, that I could do it. Awesome, and I did. So yay! Like, there's another <laughs> high five. I don't know that I'll do it again, but oh, <laughs> oh, hopefully it's not. Over. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna back up. So through all this fucked up shit that mm-hmm. happened through childhood and everything, what was the moment that you kind of decided? It's felt to me like you found a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The moment really came, you know, on October 5th of 2002 when I, I walked into my dad's apartment and, and found him dead, you know, from his, his suicide. And, and in that moment, you know, it was one of those moments that I, I, I actually cherished as a human. It was hard. It was awful. It was difficult to see what I saw. But at the same time, how many times had he found me that way? Mm-hmm. I just luckily lived. And so I was grateful it was me. It wasn't a stranger. You know, it wasn't the co- It was his daughter. And it was somebody who loved him. And, and but what was so interesting is, is you know, as soon as that, that happened, you know, the dialogue that instantly began, even amongst his own family, you know, and I get it. It's all the stigma. It was, oh, shit, what do we tell people? Oh, Do we just say he had a heart attack? And I remember, like, for the first time, I, I just stood up and said, no, no. Like, he's been silenced his whole life. We never even let him admit he had depression. You know, he had a drug addiction, and we shamed him for that. Like, we didn't know. I, I think back to how we, even as kids, you know, we treated him because we didn't understand it. We mm. were so cruel. And not, again, intending to be. It just... But it came out that way. And, you know, my dad went through so much. And so, as, again, as people would say things like, oh, he's selfish, he was a coward, he was, you know, took the easy way out. I had a nickel for every time I heard that. And I just thought, no, no, like, it's not what happened. And so I wanted to become informed. I wanted to be able to, when people said those statements, rather than just going, mm, you fucking idiot, you know, I wanted to have something to back it up with. I mean, I knew from my own experience. But I really wanted to learn. And so I remember getting on my computer, and this was way back, you know, AOL dial-up days, <laughs> this Google shit. And I, I just typed in suicide um, prevention. And what came up was the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. That was the first thing that came. And so I clicked on the site and obviously got into it. And it's like, oh, wow, here's all this information. Because it was formed from researchers, researchers and loss survivors. So mm-hmm. researchers want to understand the why. Loss survivors want to understand the why. So here's what they knew. Yeah. And so it said, you know, so then I reached out to the organization and said, hey, you know, how does this work? And they said, well, we have local chapters, you know, across the U.S. that that do these walks. And through these walks, they raise money. And the money is how the chapter is sustained, you know, at a local level. And they're able yeah. to do programming and they're able to buy materials and they're able to do, you know, X, Y, Z. And I said, OK, what do I got to do? Well, you got to do a walk. All right. What does that look like? <laughs> like, well, you know, and they gave me the manual. And this was the time that I had just moved to Santa Barbara to get away from all the cocaine and mm-hmm. stuff. And when, so I, what year was that? So 2007. OK. 2007. And so we we still planned the first out of the darkness walk. My sister Lisa and Mandy helped us to you know make it happen here. We did it on the anniversary of my dad's suicide, which happened to be a conference weekend. Mm-hmm. There was no irony there either. Mm-hmm. Um, that guilt and shame that you know he felt religiously contributed to his own you know mental health declining. But when we did it on a conference weekend, of course people are watching fucking conference. <laughs> great turnout. Yeah. So I learned when I didn't yeah. do it on conference weekend again. But, you know, we had probably, what, 30 people or something that showed up that first walk. And then um, they raised a couple thousand dollars. And they were mostly, of course, our friends and family and students that I had at Paul Mitchell at the time. And um, But then, you know, we, we did it. So they did it again next year, but they moved it up to, to Wheeler Farm. And another gal actually ran it that year. And then I moved back to Utah. And 
took over as the walk chair, and we we did it at Wheeler Farm for several years, mm-hmm. and it continued to grow, continued to grow. We moved to Sugar House Park, and that's where we had, you know, you guys mm-hmm. started to come and play and mm-hmm. continued to grow, continued to grow. We outgrew that park and moved to Liberty Park, and so now it's become this, you know, huge monster, which is awesome, you know, to see 8,000 people come out and walk in honor of their loved one or their own struggle, you know, it's like, wow. And what I think is so cool about the walks themselves is, you know, now as the director, I, I have access to kind of this back end, you know, in the computer world where I see who's coming and, and where they're coming from. And, you know, we have a lot of teams that walk with us year after year that's the same group. But this year it was like a 17 percent had been to a walk before. Eighty three percent were new and not new to loss, just new to the fact that, oh, my God, this is happening. I could come. So that's huge. Yeah. I went, whoa. I mean, so the impact of who we reached this year was just incredible. Well, and I this, I think this year is the first year that neither Maggie and I mm-hmm. could make it since we, I don't remember where the, the one in, since I played one and yeah. it was, I don't yeah. remember. But, um, and I remember last year thinking mm-hmm. like, holy shit, this is mm-hmm. huge. And it's like, we didn't make it to this year's mm-hmm. and this year's was huge. <laughs> Wait, I mean, almost what twice as big? Yeah, it, we we doubled by about three thousand people, um, and so we had there's a drone that that flew over top. You know, somebody that was there at the walk, and when I see his his footage, you know, if you've ever been to Liberty Park, you know the huge loop that mm-hmm. it is. And by the time people were still exiting the venue to start that loop, people mm-hmm. were already coming back. And mind you, they did not participate in the sidewalk safety, meaning these people were all walking in the road, pissing everybody else off. I got in trouble. But (laughs) it was just this sea of people, you know, all the way around that entire venue and people still coming out. It was just insane. I mean, it was just insane to look at that and go, wow. That's so pretty cool. That's awesome. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, From doing all of this stuff also, I mean, this is heavy shit. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is, I, you know, it's like, cool, I get to have my friend Taryn come over and I get to talk to her about this heavy shit. This is your life. Mm -hmm. Every day. (laughs) No, every day. (laughs) And that's got to uh, take its toll, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, Besides therapy and AA meetings and stuff, what do you do for Taryn? I frequently go to the beach. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, no, I... uh, I definitely, and this last year has been probably the hardest year um, because there's, it's an interesting concept because for so long I worked so hard to get into places like, okay, get into the schools, get into here, let me talk, let us, let us tell you about Susan, blah, 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 blah. And now we get so many requests we can't keep up, you know, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. It's a good yeah. problem to have, trust me. But I really had to learn balance too and saying no. And that's mm-hmm. hard. I'm not a good person to say no because I want to be able to say yes. But I had to get to a place where I was like, okay. I don't have to set myself on fire anymore so that other people can stay warm. I don't have to be the one that's always sharing my heart and my soul and my story because some people will receive it and then others, you know, don't. And I don't need to put myself out there the way I have for the last 16 years. And so this year has been going to be a year of of stepping back a little bit. Not Mm -hmm. that I'm not going to still do the work. I'm just not going to do it in the the way that I have been so that I have more time to to breathe Mm -hmm. (laughs) and be. But yeah, my husband and I frequently... Just make trips that we can get out to the coast and just have a couple of days to check out, sit our butts in the sand and eat red vines and drink coke. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's my, that's my you, guilty pleasure. That's now. Great. So are you going to be able to delegate a bit more mm-hmm. and have people mm-hmm. that, that yeah, you trust? We've got a go. lot of good volunteers that have been stepping up and, and able to take on some of the responsibilities that I had. And, and, and that's been incredible. Um, you know, it's, it's, it takes a lot. And again, I, I look at the you know, AFSP, again, is driven by volunteers, you know, and these are people that are involved because they've, they've been there, you know, and they just want to do, the only way they can make their hurt less yeah. is to give back to someone else so that someone else doesn't have to go through it or they get to know, man, I'm not by myself. So it's pretty powerful when you see these people and the time they dedicate in addition to their full-time jobs. I know because I did it, you yeah. know, <laughs> I did it. So it's, it's pretty powerful. Do you, do you feel like that's still filling your bucket? Yeah, I, I'm going to give it a whirl this year and just see. Um, like I said, I had to do little things this year to just take care of my, my own mental health. And the one, biggest one I did was last week, and I, I deleted a Facebook account. I know that sounds so fucking stupid. No, but, it doesn't. You know, Facebook for me, for years, you know, because I've been the one that's been so vocal, I mean, I get messages all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are in struggling and in crisis and want to talk. And as, I want to be there. I want to be able to respond. But like my husband and I first got married, I remember he looked at me and goes, do you ever get off your fucking phone? Mm-hmm. 
like, God, you're on that thing all day long. And it's because I felt like I had to be. Yeah. And then I had to go, you know, you're not the crisis line, Taryn, and mm-hmm. you can't respond to everybody's thing as much as I wanted to be. And and just being immersed, you know, in our world today and the shit that is happening. I mean, I just had to take a break. I can't. I can't look at what the church is still saying about <sighs> gay people. I can't look at what Trump's doing. Cabin. I just can't. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm done with it. I just needed a break. You know, I it, it was it really took a toll on my own mental health of going, fuck, what's going on? So we're just trying to make my world a little smaller right now and focus on the people in my life, my kids yeah. and my husband and my friends and, and the ones I see, not the ones that are through social connection. It's, it's been good. It's, good. Been, it's been a good I week. Need, I need to take a page from the book of Taryn. It's been a good <laughs> I week. Think. I always had the excuse of oh, I'm going to keep. I use my uh, I oh, use yeah, my social work. media for this yeah. or for the for work or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we have email mm-hmm. and we have phone numbers and we have you know. Yeah, it's stuff so, it's it's hard though because that is it's a platform. I mean, luckily I have volunteers that have taken over our chapter pages and are doing those. I kept my Instagram because mm-hmm. it's pictures and I love pictures. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as much drama it seems like, but yeah. so I did keep that. But and Snapchat with my kids because I always snap them and they're like, "You're nuts," but that's how I know what the hell they're up to. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever Polo, Marco Polo. Uh-uh. Oh man, uh-uh. Maggie and I are all about that one. Okay. It's basically it's basically like a mix between uh, text messaging and FaceTiming. Oh, cool. So it's just like, hey, hey, darling, blah, 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 whatever percent, and then oh, she can watch cool. it whenever she wants. she wants. It's like a video walkie-talkie huh. kind of, okay. but it's like archival. I might have to check that so out. That's pretty pretty awesome. Um, okay, well, I just have a couple questions that I ask everybody at yeah. the end. Um, what? Is there is if anything, what in your life do you wish you cared a little less about? You know, I think the thing that that all of us probably struggle with, but you know, it's the the what do others think? I think that's mm-hmm. something that I you know I'm learning. I'm learning. I really am. I'm learning to be better about um, others' opinions, not having so much weight on my own value. You know, that's something I always struggled with, and. So that's something definitely I wish I cared less about, you know, like it's like when I go out and do these presentations or I I talk and I share, you know, it's like I can get 80 great reviews and then I get that one and that's the one I focus on. I'm like, God, why are you focusing on the one asshole? I focus on all the people that were like, thank you, that helped me. But that's a balance I I think, you know, most humans probably struggle with. So So you you get reviews after you go speak. So is it like a written thing or Mm -hmm. is it online? And sometimes it's a person that just wants to Facebook message me and tell me what a piece of shit they think (laughs) <laughs> how dare I say what I said? Oh, I'm like, oh my God. How dare you say suicide's not a sin and you said the sex word? I mean, it's just oh, silly man. stuff. But but yeah, I mean, it's always an opportunity to look within and go, okay, maybe I do need to be more mindful, you know, mm-hmm. about my conversation so that I am, you know, making no, it's needs. No, not. You're just being nice. Time, They're I'm, just assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then I just say, yeah, oh, fuck them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, say, let's say you, at a cellular level, didn't care at all about though you know if if mm-hmm. you're if you're getting specific about what other people think and it's would you say when they're the reviews after you talk that's kind of the most mm-hmm. specific one Probably. if that on a cellular level just wasn't anything that you were worried about at all what would that leave room for in your life where would you put that energy what I would hope mm-hmm. would be, again, I just put more energy into the people, you know, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be time wasted. You know, that's why I got rid of Facebook. I mean, you know, you sit, sit and see yourself get sucked into this thing, you know, or if I'm sitting on the couch with my husband and now all of a sudden I'm sucked into a thing where I could be talking to him, you know, yeah. and so it's just, I would just say time, you know, having that time to really have those human connections with the people who I love, you yeah. know, and the people who are here and, and visible in my life. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Taryn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taryn Hyatt, thanks for the hang. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you, Taryn. <laughs>